Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yes, this is Ken Murray sitting in for Michael Reed. Michael will be back in the hot seat tomorrow. Well, now, as you know, the death took place yesterday morning of former MEP, MP, leader of the SDLP, and, of course, the man credited as being the architect of the peace process, John Hume. He was 83. He'd been suffering from dementia and lived out his final days in a nursing home in Derry City. In a month that marks 26 years since the IRA ceasefire in a country that lasted 25 years. We've had peace, bar a few bumps in the road, longer than we've had the troubles. One man who worked closely with John Hume was former Minister for Justice, former Foreign Affairs Minister and one-time Fianna Fáil TD for Loud from 1987 to 2011, Dermot Ahern, who joins me now. Uh, Dermot, you would have worked very closely with uh, John Hume. What sort of a person was he? Well, first of all, Ken, maybe uh, publicly, can I just express my condolences and sympathies to Pat, his wife, and um, his children and wider family, and to the people of Derry. In fact, I spoke with Pat last night and uh, one of the daughters and uh, passed on my commiserations uh, to her. Um, what type of a man was he? Uh, well, I first encountered him in the early, the first year of my political career in Leinster in 1987. I would have met him before that, but really what impressed me was in, in the first year, I it was at a conference where he spoke, and um, I have to say uh, it was one of those sort of seminal mo- moments for me in that um, everything that he said uh, had a resonance for me, uh, the proper definition of nationalism and republicanism and all about you know uniting uh, the people on the territory rather than uniting the territory um, and from that day until uh, yesterday, when I was very sorry to hear him passing, he had been unwell for many years. Um, but um, I have to say that, in my opinion, uh, he was one of the greatest Irishmen. Um, and um, I, I think we should pass him that legacy. Um, at what stage, can you recall, did people in government uh, know he was having these secret talks with Jerry Adams? Well, in 1988, um, Charlie Hockey was asked by Cardinal Fee to to mirror uh, talks 
that um, John Hume had previously with uh, Jerry Adams, and um, those talks took place um, uh, in the Redemptorist in Dundalk. I was part of those talks uh, with Sinn Féin, with Jerry Adams. Um, but they were sort of to mirror what had really gone on beforehand between the two, which were really the, the basis upon which um, you know, an accommodation ultimately was uh, arranged. Um, you know, it took a long time after that, uh, but that that was the initial. I would have thought that the Irish government before '88 were aware, but Hahi uh, took the uh, uh, initiative. It was a very difficult decision for him to do at that time. Um, we often wondered at the time: Did Hume know that we were um, having those meetings? We assumed he was. Uh, that he that he did know, but others in the SDLP did not know, and um, that sometimes caused tensions within the SDLP uh, because sometimes people in the SDLP felt that John was, you know, doing things that perhaps he shouldn't be doing, and yet ultimately uh, they bought into that, and um, uh, as we know, we now have the Good Friday Agreement and the peace that we have ever since. And can you recall from those talks um, in the Redemptorist Church, uh, did Gerry Adams indicate that the IRA wanted to end the war and that therefore they were looking for some sort of a framework or some sort of a structure to get them off the hook in such a way that the British wouldn't be triumphalist and say, oh yes, we've beaten the IRA. Can you recall uh, what the tone of the... Well, the- the tone of the talks were really to explore, um, you know, nationalism, nationalist Ireland, both north and south. Um, he had his talks with the SDLP in the north, which had gone on. Um, John, they came. It came out that they that the talks were taking place, um, which caused John Hume particular angst because um, he was denounced in an awful lot of sections of. Yeah, I'll come to that in a second, actually. Yeah. 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 And. Um, but our talks didn't get out until after the Good Friday Agreement, um, the fact that they took place. Um, but yes, I mean, I think it's fair to say that there were exploratory talks to see could nationalist Ireland, uh, both north and south, uh, made up of the political party Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and, and the SDLP, um, you know, could they, and there were efforts to, to put in place what they called at the time a pan-nationalist front, we weren't that particularly happy with that concept because um, we felt that, you know, the unionists particularly, it wasn't us against them. That it was, And I think John Hume had the same view, that it was really more important to have um, an accommodation with, uh, you know, one and a half million unionists um, on the island of Ireland, or a substantial at least one million unionists on the island of Ireland, that we had to live on the territory, as John Hume always said. And for me, that was, you know, the the mantra that, you know, you had to unite the people rather than unite the territory. It's no good having a united Ireland if, you know, you have uh, one million people who are forced into that by the bomb of the bullet or by, indeed, you know, 50 percent plus one in a referendum. You have to work with these people in order to show them that it's in their interest that, you know, a part of United Ireland, and we see that in recent times with Brexit, that I think quite a lot of mild unionists see that, you know, there is potential for United Ireland, uh, uh, given the fact that the Republic of Ireland is in uh, the EU, something which I think a lot of them would desire. Sure. How would you sum up the 
I suppose the best way to put this would be the malicious campaign of castigation heaped on John Hume by, we'll say, the Sunday Independent in late 1993. It was terrible and it took an awful toll out of him, but it wouldn't have taken as much of a toll out of him as, you know, the constant um, security threat that was on his life and on his family's life. I knew particularly talking to Pat, I would normally, you know, it functions when John was speaking. Uh, be near Pat when he was speaking because he was she was always at his side and you know I I, I often marvelled at how people like John Hume, Seamus Mann and others, uh, people on the unionist side could be involved in politics. It was easy for me in the Republic to be involved in politics. I wasn't any on a, on, under any particular you know uh, security threat. Um, I was at times once or twice, but generally speaking, I could go about my business. My family were 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 safe, um, but that was not the case for John Hume and the likes of John Hume, and that's something that's sometimes forgotten that they you know they sacrifice so much so much not just family life um but put their family in danger sometimes and i do know that you know quite often they were under a very serious uh, threat and were warned by the security forces the ruc at times that you know you know they were under danger and you know it was something but it never phased him it, I have no doubt it probably caused difficulty within his family. So, but you know, coming back to your point about the vilification, that's something that I think politicians generally, um, you know, are able to put up with. It's it's only when it when you know it interferes with their family. I think that's when you know politicians have to decide you know what's right and what's wrong. John, I think, was very careful about what how, how it affected his family. He was very lucky with Pat in that she was you know very much by her, by his sure. side and she was very much his mentor all the time um both when he was uh, in politics and indeed you know in later life when she looked after him um when he was in very difficult health circumstances sure uh, i mean with the benefit of hindsight did the sunday independent call it wrong well a lot of people called it wrong at the time um you know i i remember um I often tell this story about, you know, Mary McAleese, who was our candidate, and the first day she canvassed in was uh, in in the presidential election um, uh, was in Drogheda, and I was by her side. And just the day before, a story broke about the fact that, and it was a leak from a very malicious leak, not you know by anyone in the Department of Foreign Affairs, but it was a, a leak from a political source about the fact that Mary McAleese previously had met with Jerry Adams and a number of uh, leading IRA people. Um, and I remember Mary was very distraught on, on the morning in question. We were there at the market uh, in Drogheda. And, uh, of course, the media were all interested in the story. And, you know, why was she, you know, and here she was starting off her presidential, her first presidential campaign. Um, and, you know, her being from the north and all of that, the, the resonance of that, um so it, it, it potentially was a very bad start. And I remember saying to her, you should should wear it with pride, the fact that you talk to people like these people in order to try and ensure that we have peace on our island. And that was exactly the same with John Hume. You know, he took those risks. Uh, Albert Reynolds often talked about having to take constant risks for peace, and John Hume was the ultimate risk taker. Uh, Dermot, we have a piece of audio here from um, a speech that John Hume gave at the European Parliament in Strasbourg. just want to play this for you. But as I was saying at the beginning, the challenge it now faces is to leave the conflicts of past centuries behind us 
And as we enter the new century and the new millennium, let us build it as a world of peace and as regions of peace with no conflict. Because when you have a look at conflict, no matter where it is, and this is me talking very simply, but I think it's also quite profound, all conflict is about the same thing, no matter where it is. It's about difference. Whether difference is your religion, or your race, or your nationality. And the message that we have to get across, and that we have learned in our part of the world, is that difference is an accident of birth. None of us chose to be born. And we certainly didn't choose to be born into any particular community. There's not two people in this hall who are the same. There's not two people in the whole world who are the same. Difference is of the essence of humanity. And therefore, respect for difference should be very, very normal and very common. But it is the first and deepest principle of real peace and real ending of conflict. That was uh, John Hume there talking about respect for difference. Was that, a, if you like, a, a message aimed at Republicans in the North or at Unionists or at the British, do you think? Um, well, first of all, I have to congratulate you on the piece because I think just what the words that he said there in that speech typify, you know, what John Hume was all about. Um, I think he was uh, saying it to everyone because there was fault on every side. There was fault on the British side. There was fault on, you know, unionism. Um, you know, John Hume and the SDP were born out of, and indeed the IRA were born out of the discrimination, the terrible discrimination that went on in Northern Ireland um, for for many many years. Were, were you know people who, as he said, were of a particular community and a particular religion were, were discriminated against and uh, what he was trying to emphasize that um, you know people needed to respect each other and to treat each other as equal and that's I think um, it, the testimony that he has left us he was really the the main architect without any uh, exception I think he was the person who really took um, us into the position that we are now in on the island of Ireland where we have relative peace and we have to be thankful for the doggedness which he uh, portrayed in that respect to try and emphasise that you know we all had to live on this little island um, beautiful island that we had to live together we might have our differences about different issues and I have to say that that was the philosophy that I took on you know, in my dealings with the Unionists many many times I would have often said to them look we mightn't agree on politics we mightn't agree on constitution, constitutional issues but we have to agree on you know all the basic issues which um, you know the people on the island uh, want you know a good economy um, you know good infrastructure etc etc and you know in fairness to the unionists they always accepted that that was the case we might differ um, in relation to the political and constitutional issues but uh, thankfully the Good Friday Agreement which John Hume was the main architect of the, the three strands as we used to call them the the how the people in the north of Ireland were able to get on with each other, how the north and the south was able to get on with each other, and how east-west, as they said, between the two islands. Um, and that three-strand process was the, the hallmark of uh, the Good Friday Agreement and the relationships that were built up between uh, the two islands. And John Hume, again, has to take the credit for that. And the way in which he brought, he spent 
you know, ages in America, um, trying to get uh, American, uh, the American-Irish on our side in relation to what he was doing. Sometimes that was a difficult story, as I knew, because, you know, over in America, a lot of the Irish-Americans had a particular view about a united Ireland, which not necessarily was a practical view. Um, it was a... a, a um, a view through rose-tinted glasses that it was just a matter of bombing the Brits out of Ireland and everything would be grand. And sure, we all knew that wasn't the case. Um, and also, you know, another aspect of John Hume's life was the the European aspect and how um, he was extremely successful uh, in getting recognition at EU level that the EU had a role to play within Northern Ireland because, you know, going around the world, it used to be that... Um, you know, when you talk to other countries, they said, oh, well, that's an internal problem with the British. It's really nothing to do with the rest of the world. And, of course, John Hume successfully got American, the American political system very exercised in uh, Irish affairs, and as, as he did at European level, where now we got the benefits, particularly monetary benefits, of, of a lot of, um, you know, all the peace funds that we've got for years and years and years. John Hume was very much uh, pivotal in, in securing those for the country. Uh, I'm thinking of the fact that uh, in that period, sort of 1993 to 1998, right people in the right place at the right time. I'm thinking of Albert Reynolds, who took a business-like approach to getting things done. The fact that Bill Clinton uh, appeared to have some Irish roots. Tony Blair's mother was from Donegal. Uh, and the fact that you had Hume as well and Bertie O'Hearn in their own uh, skillful way uh, making things happen. Do you think that if John Hume... Uh, had never gone into politics, that there was anyone else out there who could have made this happen? I, I don't really think so, because, you know, um, personally, for, for me, uh, he was, you know, I, if, often I was asked in interviews who was my, my, my you know, uh, who the person that I would look up to most in political life around the world, and I would have always, you know, you've all Nelson Mandela and all these people, I would have said John Hume. Without a shadow of doubt, John Hume was the man for me that, that you know, was central and pivotal and, and pushing. Um, you know, others moved on, um, uh, but he was there dogged, dogged, and even in the darkest of times, you only have to look at the you know, remember the time of the Grey Steel murders and the funerals where he was in tears at the funerals. That showed the type of man that he was, that, that you know, it wasn't just, you know, a political, you know, notch on his political career as it was often suggested to me by by some people about different people um, that, you know, they were only do, doing this for their political um, achievements to have it as something. John Hume was genuinely doing this because he genuinely believed that um, his, you know, his contribution would lead to a situation where unionists and nationalists would live together on the island of Ireland in peace. Sure. And, uh, I think that's the test, ultimate testimony of the man that, that, that has passed away. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much indeed uh, for your contribution to uh, the programme this morning and your insight on the type of man that John Hume was. Okay, more to come. We'll take a break. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.